Good morning, vendors and not vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, the conclusion of Book 2 Spirits sees the release of a cosmic Keiju Korra, Deus Ex Jorora, the second battle of Republic City Bay, this time with Inception's blob chest weapons. Who will help you find the light in the darkness? Maybe your hosts, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch. By now, you've probably seen the finale. I actually don't know when this is this podcast is going up, but you probably saw the finale a week ago when it landed. Several times. Yeah, you've just yeah. watched it. You, you live and breathe the finale now. Every night, you just go home and watch it because you can. Full advantage. Um, but now we are finally going to comment it on it. You know, this is, this is a big deal. The final Republic City Dispatch finale. What podcast. you've been waiting for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't. We don't. Finale. We don't come yeah. early. Um, but uh, we are back. I am Matt Patches. With me, as always, Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello. Dave Gonzalez. That's with a seven. That is with a seven. The first part, not the Gonzalez. That'd <laughs> yeah. be crazy. Both names have sevens. <laughs> He's just going by seven now. And Joanna Robinson. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for hanging on an extra week so that we could spread out our vast commentary on these uh, on these episodes, on these wonderful episodes, too. I think Cora went out with a bang this season, and uh, I guess having them all in one giant night made it uh, a movie event. But you know what? We're, we're stripping them back. We're talking about them independently. Do the stakes get much higher, Mad Patches? Well, I th- yeah, I think it's... Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> and, and if you're going to, uh, in your final, what, like, fourth and third countdown uh, episodes, you're going to release, like, a god spirit from a tree, like, the massive dark entity. Only it can only go up from there. Apparently, you have to have them collide as giant monsters. Uh, it's go big or go home theory. I think uh, huge stakes. But before we get too far into this conversation, Dave, what happened in this episode? Oh uh, well, a lot of fighting. But forgoing the details of each specific fight, Korra fails while battling Batu during harmonic convergence, letting Unalak merge to form the Dark Avatar. Tenzi, boo, Tenzi. Woo, Tenzin, Bumi, and Kaya track down Janora in the Fog of Lost Souls. In the real world, the Dark Avatar rips Rava from the Avatar's body and kills the Light Spirit, severing Korra's connection to the past Avatars and getting the power to grow into a giant Dark Spirit that uses the Spirit Lights to teleport to Republic City. There, President Raiko and General Iroh try to slow down the Dark Spirit, while Tenzin leads Korra to the Tree of Time in the Spirit World, where she meditates and Astral projects a cosmic Korra to Republic City Bay, where she battles the Dark Batu slash Unalak Spirit. As the Dark Spirit is about to consume Cosmic Korra, Janora appears and brings Rava back into the physical world. Cosmic Korra digs Rava out of the Dark Spirit and uses the new power to calm the Dark Spirit, Unalak, Batu horribleness she transports her body transports back to her body in the spirit world to reconnect with rava before the harmonic convergence ends though korra doesn't regain the connection of the past avatars she and mako break up again before she decides to leave the spirit portals open to usher in a new age where spirits and humans live together that's a lot of stuff so Um, much harmonic convergence this year not as fun as burning man uh, no (laughs) Uh, well i throw it immediately to all of you I mean, after everything that we've seen this season, I think we touched on this a little bit maybe last week, but I mean, is this ultimately a fulfilling outro for all of you in terms of both action? We want a, we want a big, bad finale, um, but I guess also in terms of, of Korra's arc and all the characters here. I mean, is this ultimately fulfilling for you? Um, yeah, yeah. I- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, would, yes. I would say so. That's the end of the podcast. Yes and no <laughs> questions from here on out. But I think it's also worth noting, like, the turnaround of this season, right? Um, it seems like uh, Legend of Korra pulled a homeland this season. That is a show, by Ooh. the way, which is famous for its, like... I, I think Homeland typically has rough beginnings. Even the first season. I was about to say, really I thought bad. I heard it was bad. But oh, now well, it's good yeah, again. you thought you heard the first episodes were bad. And then, then it hits a point where kind of the badness kind of coalesces into something really interesting. And then there's a big twist. And then Homely gets great for the rest of the season. And they've kind of done that for several seasons now. So it is, I don't know, I just found that kind of funny, like seeing that happen recently in Homeland and seeing Korra just turn itself around with the, 
um, you know, all the one hour episodes and kind of everything happened in the second half of this season. Um, I'm not sure how much of that early stuff was necessary because uh, we complained about some of it just being table setting. Not sure if we needed all of it, but I'm definitely satisfied with the way everything ended up. I was thinking the same thing happens on Boardwalk Empire, HBO show. The first mm-hmm. two-thirds of every season is sort of frustrating. And you're like, why am I watching this show again? And then the back third <laughs> is so good that you're hooked and you come back next year. So – and in that sense, it's a good question whether or not the table setting is necessary in this season of Korra um, or whether that's why the back half of the season was so good because mm-hmm. of the table setting that they did. So. I think that, I mean, I can see where you guys are coming from both your spe- your series, although I think Boardwalk Empire is slowly learning to draw out its climax to the middle of the season <laughs> instead of waiting till the first third. That's either here or there. Homeland hasn't learned anything. Um, and I <laughs> wish it's still so good. So I, know, good. <laughs> I know. And I wish Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would take a turn. Oh, a hard That's a whole nother giant airplane of problems. <laughs> different <laughs> different podcasts. But I do think this one was uh, very interesting in terms of how it sort of fostered the Genora storyline uh, and then neglected to connect the different parts of it. Like we very specifically get like a three axed sort of Janora transition where it's like she's hiding her spirit thing. Then she's like the connector spirit person, but she gets lost and then she comes back as the person who brings the light back into the world. But she sort of, you know, comes out of the spirit fog sort of knowing what to do, even though we don't know what's going to happen as viewers. Mm -hmm. And it seems like none of the characters, even Tenzin, who's supposed to know about the spirit world, knows that this is how the Rava cycle is supposed to go on. So that's the only thing that I would sort of throw out because it was so integral to the final battle the civil war stuff felt extraneous but i can't think of a way um what uh, brian and mike said to the washington uh, uh to the wsj wall street journal wall, wall street journal, journal. <laughs> i live in i live in uh, new york there's too many washington squares but yeah in the wall street journal um where they said that you know it was interesting to have an avatar that was from a particular nation this time because ang's nation had been wiped out he didn't need to represent also a nation so here they thought you know throw a civil war in because what would the avatar do when her nation is in turmoil, but she also has to stand outside as the avatar. And I sort of get where they're coming from there, mm-hmm. much more so than I get Janora getting dropped in basically at three points throughout the season to remind us that she's special in some way that we never heard about before. <laughs> right, right. First, yeah, it's first funny. of all, yeah. First of all, I want WWAD, what would Avatar do? Bumper stickers made immediately. <laughs> yeah. so, secondly, I re- I just rewatched the finale like right before we started recording, and the Genora stuff bothered me much more upon the second. I think I was like so caught up in the battle the first time that didn't bother me so much. But I agree with you the the Deus Ex Machina thing. It was just it was done more clumsily than it needed to be. I think they had right. time to make it seem more organic to the plot. Right. There's a lot of action in these two episodes. Did it need to, I mean, do we need as much fighting as we I got? will not fight that <laughs> one, Matt. Like, I do think, um, I love the action in this. Finale. Oh my God, I it's love amazing. That it takes, it takes the series in a completely different direction. Like, who would have thought we would see a kaiju battle in this show, at least in season two? Like, I, I would figure, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe this would be, like, a series finale thing where things just go so crazy, where we have giant kaiju fighting in front of, uh, you know, in the middle of a city or something. Uh, but no, we kind of get it here. And I love the kind of, uh, it reminds me a little of uh, so many giant fighting series. Um, I'm thinking of Evangelion in particular, though. A lot of the imagery we saw with Korra, uh, Cosmic Korra, um, all of that reminded me quite a bit of Evangelion. And also the enemies in that series were um, these things called angels. And they were basically like... Uh, th- interpretations of things written down the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that really reminded me of Vatu as well. Like there was just a great big similarity there. I, I am running with my theory that he is Satan and this is uh He uh, did look like a this is Tim Curry from Legend. <laughs> yes. That's what he looked like. Actually <laughs> kind of at the end he did, you're right. Yeah. yeah. He had he had some uh, horns going on there. Maybe he is more Satan than I thought. Um, <laughs> and also 
let's just say as a fighting tactic, like those tendrils are a very bad idea. All of his little fancy tendrils, Cora was just like, I'm going to grab onto that. Yeah, very I'm easy to yank. Here. Very easy yeah. to yank. Well, I mean, 2,000 years to master your fighting style. Yeah. <laughs> when he's giant, that seems like a bad thing. But when those tendrils like shoot out of Unalak's mouth, it was semi-terrifying to see oh, that sort of really suddenly happen. terrifying. That's and because the, the, the scary uh, the... X-rated blogs that you've stumbled upon on Tumblr started flashing <laughs> before your eyes. That's that's your problem. I mean, if you just search the Cora tags... All right, all right. Let's not get into this bad side check. Never search anything on Tumblr. Yeah, probably. Stay away. It's Man, really uh... upsetting, actually. <laughs> um, I'm surprised we didn't get more uh, lasers from, uh, from Vatu in this particular one. Like Giant Vatu. What, from he, his chest? Yeah, from his <laughs> chest, from Giant Vatu in general. Um, it seemed like the better weapon than the tendrils. And I'm surprised that also we didn't get much city destruction. It was all kind of localized. It's like, uh, yeah, maybe Korra saw Man of Steel. Man of Steel. And was like, yeah, Devendra, let's not do this. I couldn't. I was so excited let's to talk to you about Man of Steel again. <laughs> yeah. Although I was, was kind so of waiting. Better. I was kind of waiting for, uh, and he goes by Una Vatu. Uh, according to the credits, they go with the shipping combination name for oh, some reason. Nice. Is that a Benefer name? Uh, yeah, he. They, I mean, it's in the credits. It's it's canon. Um, I was I was waiting for uh, even more of a throwback to King Kong and the, this old, you know, what is it, 1933 King Kong? Because this is the era we've been kind of living and breathing with the movers. Um, so I was waiting for more classic monster movies before kaiju before. The Japanese spin, um, but yeah, oh well. There was, there was a point when she picks him up and she throws him yes. against the mountain, and I was yeah. thinking, if this were Man of Steel, she would have thrown him right into the city and killed <laughs> a bunch of people. <laughs> but it's not Man of Steel, so we're okay. Thank yeah. God. Um, I to backtrack a little though. Uh, first thing, Devendra, you were mentioning the fights. Just, I mean, I, I like the kaiju stuff. It doesn't, it's not as interesting to me or compelling as the like mano a mano bending fights, which you get a lot of in the first episode. Um, Are you a kaiju hater, Matt? I, I remember <laughs> your Pacific <laughs> review, and now I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm, I'm kind of remembering. Exactly I'm not a kaiju doing. hater because I, I have I actually paid, it, I've paid money to see kaiju big battle. Have you done that? <laughs> I have not done that, but I have paid for many, many kaiju. For those, that, for those that unfamiliar, is... that is a live like wrestling kaiju <laughs> th- event that you go to. It's like indoor arena kaiju fighting that uh, people dress up in costumes and throw each other around. There's a giant waffle but, character. Right. Um, right. Yes, kaiju the whole big thing battle. About kaiju fighting though is that uh, it does look different, right? This, I mean, this also isn't just traditional kaiju fighting, I guess, but it does look a little different. It's not as fast paced. Well, it's wrestling. And bigger, sure, but there's also a lot more weight behind it. And I did feel that a bit, and sort of like Pacific Rim, which is something I know you guys did not appreciate about Pacific Rim. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me a little of that. It's a very different kind of action, but I'm glad they changed it up because we right. have so many great, um, you know, standalone action scenes just using bending. This is a completely different level. And I think show. what makes both styles of action really work is, is actually the sound design. I think the sure, sound design yeah. in, in these two episodes is pretty incredible. Just the kind of like organic sounds we hear when Earth, you know, comes jabbing out of the out of the Earth. <laughs> that was what I was to say. Um, Walked into that one, or or when like Unalak is shooting ice like ninja stars, or at, at some point, um, Korra is flying around uh, Vatu. In, in the spirit world, and she's kind of... First, she's on a wind typhoon, which is making its own kind of swooshing sound, and then all of a sudden, she kind of get, falls back, and she has jet propellers coming out of her feet. She's bending fire, and she's Iron Manning, like, <laughs> a, like back into control and positioning herself. I just thought that was really incredible, and the, the sound is what ends up really making that. And I think, too, when the kaiju start fighting... Like that, that those big thundering sounds that we hear and starting to kind of see a perspective. It's hard to give a perspective to animation, especially when we're seeing a lot of this action in wide shots. You know, how do you make this as big as it's supposed to be? I was exp- I was about to talk about exactly that. I was I was wondering how they accomplished it because they did look really big to me. And I think it has to do with one specific shot they cut from, you know, 
Korra and Unavatu fighting and go back to Tenzin and company fighting in the spirit world. And it's a really wide shot. Right. And they're very tiny fighting the dark spirits. Mm. And so you go from that, from you have Unavatu and Korra filling the screen to the shot of her companions so tiny. Um, mm. So I thought that was one very excellent use of framing they, to make them seem so big. They do something yeah. similar with Lin Beifong when... Um, Unavatu hits their blimp and she saves the president um, and she kind of swoops into a broken building and they're kind of like you have a shot behind them looking at Unavatu out in the water and I think it's yeah. those kind of perspective shots. You have the shots. mountains in the background, you have yeah. the city in the background. That's kind of uh, something Dragon Ball Z did for a while too because so many of the uh, so many of the episodes were just uh, very... Throwing people into mountains. Like- that's yeah, all but Dragon Ball Z single is. Shots like of people not even moving. So how do you convey size and you know kind of heft with that? It's kind of what's going on in the background too. And there's the um, the Ang statue, which is like it's got to mm-hmm. be their what like their Statue of Liberty, right? So when he pulls into the water, I was like, oh no, he didn't. He <laughs> yeah. did not just pull Ang into the water. <laughs> I hope you snapped your fingers. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Oh my god, that's a, that's really dark. That's not true. Just, that, that's what it is. I guess yeah. that's true. Well, it's not as like fiery it's destruction. It's than, than Satan roaming the earth patches, it's... which was your. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's still like biblical and fantastical. You know, there's a difference between a monster coming and knocking over the Statue of Liberty and making like a 9/11 allegory out of the attack. He's not exploding buildings here. Well, I mean, but that's this is not Man of Steel. If we haven't made that point, to everybody else is going through like right. 9-11 was horrible, but it would be a different kind of horrible if there was a giant shadow man uh, fighting Jesus in the bay. That'd be Ghostbusters 2 or something. That's right? true. There's I a know. lot of Ghostbusters 2 in this. This season is Ghostbusters 2. come like dancing down the street of Republic City. Uh, but it looks like we won't be seeing much more or any more of Aang, which is a sad consequence of what happened Although, the bro- broken connection, but you don't you think she's going to reconnect next season? Don't you think that's going to be the arc of next season? They'll probably be part of the journey, right? That makes sense. Can't she find them in the spirit world independently of the Avatar lineage? Right. I don't. I don't think that's how it works. Because how did, did Tenzin see Aang before or after? I'm now foggy on this because I was in the uh, prison of fog. Um, yeah, fog. Yeah. Oh god, the fog. It's really screwing with my brain. Um, did Tenzin see Aang before or after she lost the ability to connect with the Avatar legacy? Before. But that was in the fog. That was like a, a vision. The fog that does things to your mind. Well, that's what I mean. If you can go, if you can walk into the spirit world and see Iroh, how how can I not? Well, I think because the, the fog was a representation of what's in their mind. Not, yeah, yeah. Iroh. Okay, there. okay. Iroh it's it's the it's his... the Empire Strikes Back Yoda cave. Instead yes. of dying, yeah. Iroh went to the spirit <laughs> world and let his corpse like rot somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what Janora did not do in this episode, because she returned to her corpse. It's not like everyone who dies goes <laughs> oh, to She returned to her corpse. She returned to her corpse. <laughs> I don't think everyone who dies ends up in the spirit world. Right, right, right. Um, the Iroh thing, I, w- I was watching with a huge Avatar fan, um, and she picked up on a lot of the Avatar callbacks that I would have missed, like um, the big, the Avatar Big Bad in, in the Fog, which must have excited all of you guys. Oh, yes. yeah. Shao. Yeah. Zow. She said it was like Zow. the mayor from Buffy showing up in season seven or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah. And then um, – or on Angel or whatever. And then the other thing is, oh, when, when Korra breathes fire – my friend was like, oh, that's an Iroh thing. He's the dragon of the West. And Korra's breathing fire. Like, right after we cut from Iroh, we go to her breathing fire, which I thought was pretty cool. So. She pulls out all the stops. Yeah. <laughs> the bending moves. I, I couldn't believe they brought um, the the moon slayer, as he refers to himself. Um, the conqueror, yeah. Getting Jason Isaacs for one line reading or, like, two lines. That's, that's awesome. Um, but I, I'm wondering to kind of pull back on that whole arc, you know, it's interesting to me that the uh, parallel action here is going to be Korra having a fight, Molin, uh, ha <laughs> uh, Mako okay. and Bolin having a fight, um, and then the real thick of the plot ends up being Tenzin, Kaya, and uh, Bumi. Did that stuff work for you? Did that play, like, interspersed here? Or is this, again, like, kind of distracting from the real thrust of this finale? The Tenzin part of it worked for me. I'm not sure if Bumi and Kaya 
poor Kaya didn't really get like a moment to be Kaya mm. and awesome this season. Yeah. Uh, but I think Bumi and Kaya did what they needed to do. But I definitely think that Tenzin, you know, I'm Tenzin. I'm not, you know, I don't have to live up to the expectations of my father was an important conclusion to his character arc and would have been a good conclusion to the Bumi Kaya character arcs if they had weird similar revelations, but didn't have enough time well, to I think, fight. Don't you think they have those revelations? It's For them, it's more about Tenzin having his own revelation. They'll be closer when Tenzin has this revelation, right. when I, they can they convince might, him to have this vision. They might have already. Like, Kaya and Bumi seem kind of at peace with their relationship to their father. They don't necessarily like it, but they don't seem uh, in doubt about what it actually was right. as much as Tenzin did. I think my favorite uh, Boomy moment of the whole um, two final episodes is when they're protecting the tree that occurs in and everyone's bending and Boomy can't. And so he's just like hucking rocks. (laughs) (laughs) All the rest of them are air and water and fire bending and earth bending. And Boomy's like, well, I got some rocks and I can huck them at Dark Spirits in the background. How are you guys with the magical time tree? Because uh, so we had to accept Janora and her Deus Ex Machina, um, which there's a lot to say about that. Although I think that's also a clear callback to kind of anime where kids inexplicably save the world for no reason, just because they're kids. Yeah, Uh, is that some sort of Akira reference that I? uh... It just feels a little like that. It feels because the uh, a big theme in anime is about. kind of the fate of the world depending on youth and youth being kind of untouched and a little innocent um they can actually help uh, or do things uh, that kind of stems out from a whole a whole generation of japanese that basically uh didn't trust all the adults so this is like the per- post world war 2 generation uh people hated what happened to their country and that's why miyazaki is always uh kind of setting up uh, young people, very young people, um, as his protagonist. So I kind of got a sense of that there. Time Tree, though, kind of came out of nowhere. Well, but it has such a connection to mythology. Like, if you want to talk about Norse mythology and Yggdrasil, which we is definitely like, do. Sure. Yeah, sure. you know, I mean, especially since Patch has already pointed out that there is a connection to the new Thor movie. I mean, that was present in my mind. <laughs> and in in Norse mythology, right? Odin goes in goes up on the tree mm-hmm. and comes down after nine days and then he's all father like this that concept of this tree that connects all the worlds is enough of a mythology trope that it didn't bother me it, it made sense to me i, I guess mean, it's a very specific mythology trope though and i don't know well, I, I mean, we've uh, seen more eastern from the show than like absolutely yeah, on the other on the other side of that mm-hmm. going back to the space avatar vision that we saw in the guru sort of connecting that to a previous meditation journey we've seen an avatar do sort of a, a smoothed over some edges for me mm-hmm. yeah well like, can you talk a little bit about more about that um just like what that connection is like what are we supposed to infer that it looks like something that ang has done in the past i mean what was when he saw himself as that kind of like dark entity um he was he was unlocking chakras at that point right or but he got distracted by Katara, right? And never made it there. Hmm. Ne- right. Never made it to the center of the ball thing, right? Correct. I guess that's why he never became a giant blue Aang. <laughs> right. I mean, More's the pity. More's yeah. the pity. <laughs> that's, what the, that, that's what Brian and Mike sort of insinuated with calling back to the cosmic core. Is like that is the power that Aang would have been able to harness if he would have gotten to that giant Aang. So, I mean, the question is then, does does the Mako stuff make sense then? Because she's not distracted by these earthly relationships. I like that it was very tabled in this finale and she was just fighting and being a badass and she wasn't, you know, she didn't have a vision of Mako in trouble and get distracted from her purpose or something. That's really interesting to kind of, I mean, to go back to Empire Strikes Back, I guess Luke has a similar experience where he... Um, where, or, or actually, this happens in Return of the Jedi. He goes, he leaves his friends. He he has to, to be a better Jedi, he has to kind of put everything aside and realize that uh, his heroicism has to be prioritized over people, right? I mean, in some ways. Right. Or is this her coming to a mature decision to be a leader over this vulnerable, um, emotional person? That's really, I, I mean, I, I didn't think about that as I saw her 
make that choice or kind of walk into her giant um, outlined self. <laughs> Oddly enough, I didn't think about Mako then either. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I think that's really spot on. That's amazing. It was. It's interesting that the first book was about Korra getting to like, I don't know, I guess her lowest bending point or her lowest avatar points. And this one in, I, I guess in tandem would be her lowest actual Korra points. But it's sort of like the first, the two books of Korra thus far have been Korra getting pounded on until she is, you know, contemplating suicide, looking over a cliff or, you know, in the spirit world, uh, facing 10,000 years of darkness. And then she reaches in and finds that extra thing in herself, which I don't know. If it's a yin and yang, I totally get it. If we're in for, you know, four straight books of Korra pulling. <laughs> pulling the machine of God out of her cloak. Uh, I'm not sure I'd be as up for it. Um, but there's going to be change. Sorry, I keep jumping ahead. We should, <laughs> we should pull back. No, but it's. I mean, no, but it's interesting because I feel like the point in Avatar, and like I said, I I haven't seen all of it. I've seen pieces here and there, but I think the point was that. Aang made the right decision there. Like to choose Katara was the right decision. We wanted Aang to do that. We want that relationship to happen. Um, but here it feels like Korra, Korra also made the right decision, even though it was a different decision. Like her connection to her mission and her avatar self. I don't know. Just I haven't fully sussed out what I think about it, but I think I think it's an interesting parallel. I think it's cool that they did such a visual callback such an impressive i mean and it was, looked so cool the whole cosmic cora thing so. that is true when she's like flying through the air as big blue cora like flying yeah. into the scene or coming out of the aurora borealis or is that is that how she got there i mean yeah. that's that stuff is just so trippy and um indulgent in the best way possible you know she could just like <laughs> astral project herself into battle or something and we could be 10 steps forward but instead it, it's glorious animation. It really just the well, colors, I mean, Duke. And story-wise, <laughs> it's it kind of amazing if you sit back and look at the individual pieces that they were able to chain it together to get us accepting Korra astral projecting a giant Korra in right, Republic right. City Bay, and like then the Janora thing because like yeah, like I think Joanna said that it, it bothered you a lot more the second time because the first time you're just like yes. Of course, this is what's happening, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a it's a story power that little girl saves the world. Of course, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I, I like Devendra's read of that uh, of that moment, and I actually don't have a problem with Janora appearing out of nowhere and kind of saving the day for some reason. What what do you think is actually happening there? What is I mean, what I, is Janora like... doing? That's the question. Golden yeah. ball of golden light. That's all I got. This season, like, I, I, it's such an essential part of the finale. I think it's kind of inexcusable for the season not to give us a little more about what's going on with the Genora, right? Like, uh, the initial uh, confrontation with that statue, that was like a half second. That was a really short bit of an episode, and we had no clue what was going on. We don't go back to it until several episodes later. And yeah. it felt like so much other time was wasted, like the entire episode where they're just kind of wandering around looking for her. I feel like you could have done a little something. There. I wonder if we'll so, get... Yeah. more about that in the future i feel like janora sure. you know when i when that moment happened i kept trying to piece what what happened to janora this whole season that led to this i mean is she some sort of keeper of the Va- vatu um rava like dynamic we know that rava always exists she can't really die as long as vatu right. is alive so is right. janora somehow the keeper of that she's unlocking um rava from inside vatu somehow like and because Maybe that goes back to the tree. Like, what 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 actually happens in that first episode when she sees mm-hmm. this tree start glowing? Um, she must have some sort of relationship to Vatu Rava. I don't know what exactly it is, but for some mm-hmm. reason, I accept it as possible, <laughs> and she can appear out of the sky. You know what? She could definitely appear out of the sky, because if Satan comes out of nowhere and <laughs> Armageddon, then that's exactly how it's going to work. There's an angel. Sure. <laughs> This well, is what not, this is really what going far here, man. I want to no, this isn't. Wait, go I'm off. gonna I'm going on a rampage right now. If this, <laughs> if you believe, there's you cannot say Deus Ex Machina, or actually Deus Ex Machina it's is a, totally reasonable. Deus Ex Machina. That's what it means. <laughs> what? 
That's what it means. Yes, exactly. The gods are, it's the gods machine. Of course, that's totally allowed because we're playing in the gods world. That's so just, acceptable. I, I do feel like they're, they're setting up Janora to be a new spiritual leader. Um, and maybe there's going to be some acceptance from Korra down the line that she actually kind of stinks as a spiritual leader. Like she's made plenty of bad decisions this season. And uh, she's also not an avatar that we've seen that's ever been in tune with her spirituality, no matter how much she tries. So I do think down the line, we're going to see more from Denora kind of as a, uh, I don't know what they'll call her, but I'm sure she'll be in a very special role in season three. Some sort of speaker for the dead, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh God. I don't want to get to Battlestar Galactica on Matt's point, but Ooh. I think in terms of uh, sidestepping the Deus Ex Machina and trying to look for reasons in the series, I would say what two options feel the best to me. One is that Rava, uh, the light spirit, is reborn in the spirit world and actually need to connect with its physical counterpart. So that's Janora actually... When she shows up, she brings the light into the physical world, which allows Rava to respawn inside Vatu. The second thing would be if you can have these spirits sort of rebirthed within one another from a mysterious third party that has a connection to a spirit world, then maybe we'll see the dark avatar again because now there's somebody that could just suddenly plant darkness in light like Janora planted light in darkness. This is This is Dave's favorite theory, by the way. He's going to... Ride this dark one. avatar forever. Dark because av- um. since Zuko's not showing up anytime soon. Okay, this okay. is what Outside Dave needs to survive. I'm gonna address this now. We could talk about it later, <gasps> but the stakes were so high in this finale that I can only think that we're going to get when we finally get the series finale. It has to be a convergence of its own of these different, you know, big bads and concepts. So right, I can't right. imagine that the thing that represents evil in the entire world is not going to come back over the next two books. Do you know who I want to be the dark avatar? Asami. Think how beautiful she would be as a dark avatar. Yes. Unstoppable. And Mako would have to choose again. Think of the fan art. That's reminding me of, man, that is reminding me of something I can't put my finger on. Maybe if I just describe it. Like two girlfriends, one of them turns evil. Is that something? That that sounds like something to me. I don't know. Never mind. Are you making sarcastic Buffy jokes? No, I'm not making, is is that out of Buffy? (laughs) A lot of things. You're describing Buffy thing. Beautiful creatures is similar to that too and more recent. Uh, I mean, I was thinking dynamic was always like that too. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that when when um, Korra and Unalak were fighting. When two avatars are fighting, I was like, oh, it's like the first time. I'm sorry that I keep coming back to Buffy. It just like is such the strongest parallel to the show. But like when they were fighting, I was like, oh, it's like when two Slayers fight. It's so cool. And I was like, except Unalak is not quite as busty as Faith. So this would be way cooler if it were. Two ladies, Asami yeah. and Korra. I, well, I feel like awesome. we're getting sidetracked here. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I'm and sorry. He, he only water bends when he's even when he's giant dark spirit. This is true. Unavatu. Some dark avatar he is. Yeah, so like I don't know where this power of the four things came through, but that must have been a wand specific spirituality. He has to find those turtles, man. Yeah, wasn't That's he right. given the powers from the turtles, yeah. not actually he from, ask for them. from Rava? Wait, so what? even when he's the dark avatar he can only water bend? I mean, he doesn't bend anything else when he's the... Yeah, yeah I think I think Juan independently got all four bending powers and then merged with Rava, who allowed him to go into the Avatar state. Juan is a genius, by the way. He's like the guy who gets the, uh, you know, the magic uh, lamp and asks for more witches. More witches, And he yeah. actually gets them. He's like, all right, I figured out this loophole. Yeah, he's Loki. I was really hoping powers can exist through my lineage, through my like (laughs) spiritual ancestry. Yes, awesome. All (laughs) all wishes granted. I actually, I think I mentioned this last week, but I kept wanting um, Unavatu to have a Jafar moment. Where, like, I really thought they were going to merge and he was going to become this almighty powerful person that no one could really stop, and then he would get sucked into his uh, lamp. That's I guess that's that's what happens at the end of Aladdin, right? That he becomes sure. so big now he's confined to the lamp. Something like that would happen, but uh, alas, I was totally wrong about that. And he got energy <laughs> blasted into uh, oblivion. Um, he's not into oblivion. Like the whole, I, I do like the point that the series keeps making is that yeah, this is a constantly you know ongoing battle. Vatu cannot, cannot die. Yeah, Vatu can't die. Um, Rava cannot die. It's kind of 
a thing the world has to exist uh the world has to sort of exist kind of uh i don't know in the middle of this fight and that's a sort of like uh I feel like most kids shows for sure. And even most American TV shows, like they want certainty. And I love that the show can exist in a state of uncertainty. Right. That was Avatar. The last airbender's mission to really have a conclusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now we got our empire strikes back. (laughs) Called it. What? You think this (laughs) ending? Wait, now let's transition to this because I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Well, yeah, I don't. I don't see the ending of this as like a cliffhanger Empire Strikes Back ending. Uh, what? what do we? Everything what do we think about it? different. Well, everything <laughs> can be different, different, but it's a. It could be a series finale. She's like, and you know. Yeah. Now we, we live up a, to like the whale spirit, and we're like, okay. Yeah, we're gonna live together in Merriman. Very significant about herself. Like she loses that connection to the past avatars, and I think that's that's key. Like it's key that that actually happened and actually stuck like unlike what happened uh, at the end of season one where things kind of resolved themselves pretty quickly right she had no powers and oh, she had powers yeah she got to talk to roku once yeah <laughs> wtf was that was that a poignant moment for you when i mean seeing these um her her avatar lineage basically pops oh when, yeah when oh, when yeah. rava is destroyed was... and i mean not you know, it's interesting because see, book one gets this really powerful moment where she's standing on the cliff and then she sees all these avatars and we, like, feel the emotions swell. I'm wondering if that this finale had that moment for you or if it comes a little earlier when destructive things are happening, when Rava dies. Yeah. I, I mean, as we saw, basically, we see her connection to those. All the avatars get severed. And I feel like my memories, like, going back to watching the original series, like, I, I could feel the pain all the way back there. And that's pretty that's pretty powerful, I think, for a show to be able to do that. Yeah, we're not going to get to know anything more about those people because not only is her connection gone, but for the moment, our connection to all of their stories is gone as well, which mm-hmm. it felt like the animation was all these characters popping, but it also felt like little doors were closing in the expansive universe, which is fine. Like, we're moving forward like time does and, you know, que sera, sera, but... It didn't make me regret it any less. Mm-hmm. Well, and Cora, so Cora and Tenzin both learn the same lesson, right? That they are interesting and worthy people in and of themselves, like despite their lineage, right? Like right. Cora right. severs her connection and Tenzin, you know, not severs their connection, but sort of comes into their own outside of who, where they came from. And, um, and I loved the callback to Juan, the sort of, the questions that we were asking, what made Juan special? What, you know, as a human before he was the Avatar? Um, and I'm glad that they sort of revisited that in Tenzin's teaching moment in this episode. I, I really liked it. I also really liked that um, Cora comes to the conclusion that Juan made a mistake. I think that's really powerful. And to, yep. to accept <laughs> that the past isn't always right, you know, just because they're older and wiser doesn't necessarily mean that your gut instinct is wrong. And Cora's going to choose to know herself, to, to follow her thoughts, and to really um, value her own opinion, which is an important lesson. People don't do that. People feel indebted to the past or, or social sure. pressure. And here she is going to say that Juan, this person she admires, this person she thinks is infallible, um, made a mistake by, by closing mm-hmm. the spirit portals. And I thought that moment was actually pretty powerful. And having Tenzin there, too, to share that moment, to really guide her after failing to guide her so many times. It's like, yeah, just do what you want, you know? I, I yeah. don't have anything to really add. That shows some real growth from Tenzin, right? Yes. Normally, I feel like he would try to force her down the role of tradition or down the path of tradition or something. And he's learned quite a bit. But also, we brought this up during the one episode. Like, it was kind of sad to see all the spirits just kind of go go to your hole, spirits. Go there. Don't come right, back the, out here. The tra- One of you said Trail of Tears, which was, it was. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. the spirits were happy about it. They were so clueless. They had no clue that they were going to be trapped back in there. They promised Poor us parents, money. So what do they know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or mushroom people, apparently. The mushroom um, comedy was so good. I'm the mushroom sorry. comedy was amazing. Um, and now the dragonfly bunnies can fly around in the real world and hang out with Boomy. So. Wait, yeah, was it I the... was really sad. I thought Boom, Boomy's going to have to say goodbye to Boomju forever, but no. <laughs> wasn't the mushroom great Elise? Was. was that the, the, the mushroom and the I spider were the both. Spider. Both of them yeah. were great Elise. Yeah, oh, which was that is a anticlimactic breaking news from a year and a half ago. 
I know which, people lost their minds, and know, not crazy. a big deal. That brings me so Watch much joy. Punchline. It's sadistic joy, but it brings me joy that that was kind of a letdown. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a sick guy. Um, any any other thoughts on this on this grand finale? I mean, what's interesting here is I think that the end of book one was a, a finished conclusion because it was supposed to be. You know, we were mm-hmm. supposed to getting a one off, um, and here. I do feel I don't feel like it's an Empire Strikes Back conclusion, uh, oh. but uh, and you can argue this, but um, I mean it's I certainly will. setting up. We are, they're already divulging what book three is. This is a clear alley oop to whatever's next. Sure. Um, sure. And I, I guess for me that was fulfilling. I enjoyed it. Dave thinks it's a cliffhanger. I mean, not a cliffhanger, but a clear alley oop to what's next. I mean, Empire Strikes Back isn't a cliffhanger. It's not like there's something that's happening in five minutes. We needed the Cora Red Wedding. Right, is what we really. It's needed. not Empire. <laughs> does <laughs> for the longest time. I used to think that uh, when I saw Empire as a kid, I used to think it ended with Luke just kind of hanging there, dangling. Like that was my memory of the movie, and then upon rewatching it, like years later, I was like, "Oh no, he could save." That's, yeah, they get a hug moment. He's got his friends. He's got a plan. He's an awesome Jedi. He yeah, knows who his yeah. dad is. Spoiler. It's pretty clear cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just spoiled Empire Strikes Back, guys. Oh no! Sorry, I haven't watched well, it yet. I spoiled I have... one of six episodes for you. I have a, a question, a follow question about that, you know, offhanded red wedding comment, which is this: Were there major good guy character deaths in Avatar? And does it, I mean, do we not want to, but like, would it make a stronger story if we saw some in Korra? I can name one person that it seemed like they should have died in this finale. <laughs> like Bolin? No. <laughs> or Janora? I think Jinora. if Janora had died, I think it would have to be Jinora. Really strong, yeah. Yeah. She just Bolin wasn't got, set like, up as a sacrificial figure. She kind of was in the Alice in Wonderland ish. Uh, right, episode, right, right. but it didn't really build to that. That would have been. spot the whole Janora Angel thing if that kid had actually oh died. God. That oh that would have been. If she like, had died and then come back and save the day and then like disappeared yeah. into the spirit world. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. but you look at a. I'm like looking at the uh, Avatar wiki here, and like the the scene where Janora shows up and is you know drawing Rava's spirit out. It is she is she's glowing. Her, well, she's also crucifying herself. Oh she my is, gosh. Yes, yes, Matt. This is what you want. So she real, she is the quote unquote son of Rava. She's the She's daughter the of Rava of this whole thing, oh and she gosh. must die for our sins. Oh, um, Jesus can't be a woman, guys. This is America. <laughs> oh my God, no. But yes, but everything is ro- role reversal in uh, Avatar, no, is which is why it's wonderful. City, yeah, but uh, but to answer your question, Joanna, yes, uh, significant like major characters did die in the right. first. Right, and so so far we've only seen bad guys die. Right? Yes, like that's a big true. Only Amon. I don't know who do we see die in the first Jet, and also Jet uh, died. Girl. Yeah. Oh yeah, but uh, what's it? that was in the season? What I don't think we didn't see anyone right. significant die. Joanna's used to being hosting Cast of Kings, where like nobody's <laughs> safe. In, to, in it's comparis- not Game of Thrones. In comparison, yeah. well, no, I mean, and that's my question. It's a, it's a Nickelodeon show. Like, uh, you know, is would that stick out in a Nickelodeon show? In the first have- season, when uh, the villain was blown up by his brother. That was a huge deal. <laughs> that, yeah. that sort of. I, I think someone will die. Someone will die on the show, but it's been oh, yeah. too early. I mean, we just need okay. to get invested in somebody because Brike, they love um, sad things. They've said this many times. They've said it but on Blu ray commentaries. They love sad right. things. They'll kill someone eventually, but not yet. Of course they will. But they're not Joss Whedon. Like, I think that's what Whedon tends to do, too. Like, he builds up the characters too and quickly. That's kind of. Yeah, too quickly and then kills them off sometimes. That's kind of what gets me to expect this. But I also think to, to make this finale actually work better, if Janora was set up better, if um, at the end she does sort of die for our sins and she exists as only a spirit um, or something, and that's, she can still communicate with her family, but she's not technically alive anymore, I feel like that would have made for a stronger overall finale i I so roped you into this whole biblical conclusion no i'm just i'm just pointing it out no you're you're with me i'm seeing the image i'm now i'm now imagining um tumblr images of biblical quotes from revelations set against (laughs) images from this core finale someone make it happen uh Uh, the one thing we the one thing we did not talk about was um bolin mako uh desna and eska and like what the heck went down those scenes coming right what? i didn't right. see well i i saw the turn coming but i didn't see bolin's genuine um oh, love. Genuine love. That was, yeah that's right that was really sweet Real 
just talking about I real. thought, aside from the mushroom comedy, I thought Desna had the best lines. He's like, well, they're going to die. Like, all of his lines, he had, like, only four, and they were all great. Was he was not so available good. for the first half of the season or something? I know. He did saying. not speak at he all. He just did all his lines in an hour, and they had to speak yeah. them out. <laughs> Seems like it. Um, so um, that was beautiful. I don't know if they'll come back, uh, but. Varric. Uh, Varric's escape. Varric got an es- a little escape. Um, that reminded me of the Joker in some way like right. the joker in every animated cartoon ever he's always got some wacky invention it's so his that makes inspector julie gadget. harley quinn yes of course <laughs> it, it almost felt like an inspector gadget escape though because he has this little thing that they just kind of had there sitting uh, there was something device. Separate. yeah yeah have you guys ever heard the time is an egg theory what mm. So the entirety of time is like an egg, right? And we start moving from the bottom of it towards the top of it. So our decisions get smaller and smaller, leading to the inevitable point of the egg and the end of time. So if Korra, four books, is an egg, we're at the center of the egg (laughs) where the most characters and the most themes are in play now than will ever be in play for the rest of Korra. So I think the next, you know, the next steps are just slowly closing off all these open character things, which means Janora might not be safe or she might be a spiritual pope. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. But, like, that's why that's why Varric gets away and, you know, with this sort of very, you know, Batman villain-esque, I'll live to fight another day. I'll get you next time, Gadget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to have to have some crazy book three speculation throwdown in the uh, in the immediate future. But for now, let's wrap up talking about this finale did you guys have any favorite little standout moments from this that we have not covered dave i'm pointing at you um uh, i think that the air family's commentary on the keiju fight in the bay <laughs> did not fail as horribly as i thought it would which made it pleasant they reminded me of Davindra watching Pacific Rim. There's a great, <laughs> yeah. There's a great. I can still. enjoy Pacific Rim, Matt. Yes. I I can probably enjoy it. At there's home. a great. There's a great still <laughs> floating around Tumblr of uh, Baby Rohan with his eyes really wide, shocked during the battle. That has made me laugh several times. So check that out. <laughs> um, I I guess my favorite. It's not a favorite moment, but the. When Tenzin and his family leave the Valley of the Fog and leave everyone behind, like, I know they had business to do, but I would have preferred if he had sort of led everyone out of the valley. I'll find uh, who was, who was trapped there. Yeah, what are they supposed like, to do? They have, they have no idea what's been going on for the last who knows how many years. That would be hilarious. Think of the wacky antics. They would be like, radio? What's that? I don't understand. Anyway. It's a little band in a box. I, I tried to I tried to see if any of them were Easter eggs, like callback references to people from the past, but it was too yeah, quick. Were, were you looking for uh, members of the Zuko family as I'm looking, well? I'm looking for mm. anyone and everyone. <laughs> Devendra, did you have a, uh, a favorite moment? I guess we kind of covered most of it, but I, I do love the point where uh the crap hits the fan i guess in this uh in this like uh, by the time where cora goes into the time tree and she starts astral projecting and then she turns giant and we have a giant kaiju fight going and we have several fights happening at the same time we have the commentary i love how this entire finale was all about layers upon layers of action and drama it all kind of led up pretty well and uh yeah like uh it felt so anime-esque to me, um, perhaps more than anything we've seen from the Legend of Korra so far. Uh, just loved all of that. I just, yeah, the Janora thing bugs me, and I wish I wish they had more time for it. And for me, um, I guess I guess Joanna kind of touched on this a little bit, but I love when uh, Team Avatar minus Korra, because she's busy being a giant blue person fighting an mm-hmm. evil demon. Um, everyone's back in the spirit world fighting the dark spirit horde that's coming at them. And they do this like um, push in shot where they all kind of leap out with their different bending yeah, powers like at once. Planet shot. Yes. Yeah. I just lo- I love that. Or it Avenger shot. Yeah. Such a great hands in moment. Like this could be the intro of the show. We're all showing off our powers. <laughs> I just thought that was so wonderful. Like what a great way to build uh, a sense of team through a camera movement and through mm-hmm. great animation. I just love that. And I um, was very touched by the mature decision of Korra to break up uh, with Mako. I just really liked 
her dialogue there, I think she says something like, this, us, it's not working. I just thought that was very, like, re- that was very yes. real. Uh, yeah. And as many not, people who listen to this know. We're not the midpoint of that at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, and that could drift either way. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is that they are very mature in their relationship building here. Um, and very realistic. I don't necessarily see them getting together in the end. I don't, I'm not predicting that right now yeah, their um, their conversation ended with a whitney houston quote what was the whitney houston quote i will always love you yep. that's dolly parton back off uh, <laughs> whoa <laughs> yikes sorry sorry uh well i mean I i've said i've said that to a lot do... of people so <laughs> no <laughs> no no I know. if they do that shot that you mentioned patches as the opening credits i demand it ends with boomy just throwing rocks throwing rocks like... <laughs> he's an earthbender see <laughs> uh well i guess that about wraps things up on this uh episode unless uh anything else people anything that was book two should we like round of applause nah, nah forget it yeah <laughs> yeah hey, book two yeah. we, we can meditate quite hour long we made it um yeah i wish yeah, the dream world is book three is just hour long episodes and when uh we know when they actually air on television in advance no no they won't we'll just get a million reblogs and release the whole season at back once. to saturdays back to They're saturdays online six minutes at a time oh perfect <laughs> social initiatives um, and we will probably be doing some more episodes in, in the near future. So keep checking back here, either on the Tumblr or on iTunes. If you do not subscribe on iTunes, you must you must check it out. It's so cool. Leaving reviews and ratings. Uh, all the kids are doing it. And, uh, yeah, just keep checking in because we want to be doing things throughout this hiatus, which, uh, according to Brike, is going to be shorter than the year and few months that we spent waiting for book two to emerge. So that's a good hmm. sign. Um, nice. So until then, why don't we tell people where they can find us on the Internet? Joanna? Every day on pajiba.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at quityourjrob. Dave? Um, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E every Wednesday at latino-review.com, talking about superhero movie news, and very happily with Matt Patches, Katie Rich, and David Ehrlich at our new podcast called Fighting in the War Room at <laughs> fightinginthewarroom.com. Devendra. Oh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech every day at venturebeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. And I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet about movies and nonsense and post everything on my Tumblr, mattpatches.com. Hopefully my uh, review of the finale is up on vulture.com, praying, praying. And um, like Dave said, uh, if you listen to Operation Kino, it has now transformed. It has, um, uh, Vatu, an evil spirit, has inhabited its body, and it is now called Fighting in the War Room. So please listen to that. Uh, and until next week, bye-bye. Yeah,